Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. In her book called The Art of Gathering, Why We Meet and Why It Matters, author Priya Parker introduces a whole new style of event planning. She steps over Ann Landers and Martha Stewart and wedding planners everywhere. And instead of focusing on colors and themes and menus, Parker promotes the idea of people-centered planning. Referencing a guide put out by Martha Stewart, she laments that hosts these days are trained to fuss over the crudités and then hope for the best when it comes to human beings. It's not that logistics don't matter, she says. They absolutely do. But if you think about it, it is remarkable how little space is given to getting your guests ready for the invitation. Wouldn't it be interesting to know if Parker knew about the party for Matthew's gospel today? It's certainly a different type of party planning than what we see in better homes and gardens in Southern living. The scripture passage for today, it shows us a party in a deserted event space. It's a pop-up, I suppose, with probably 10,000 guests and five loaves of bread. Yet the gathering, it not only feeds you, it transforms you, it cures you, and you are healed. Martha Stewart would blush and then ask Jesus, please tell me the tips for this miracle meal. But Parker's approach actually in the art of gathering, it gives us a better sense of what really goes on in planning, even the preparation that Jesus actually did. So she says that 90% of what makes a gathering successful is put in place beforehand. 90% of what makes your next gathering or party or event successful is actually put in place beforehand. So the main event isn't necessarily the biggest thing there. It's the preparation that's leading up to the meal. You know this, football fans that we sort of are, or I definitely am anyway, as the pregame, right? And Parker tells us, and Jesus shows us, that the preparation is extremely important. And actually, it needs to be attended to with just as much care. John the Baptist happens to be the Bible's ultimate pre-gamer. You know what I mean. His voice was the voice of a ministry calling, get ready, get prepared. 
It was the voice in the wilderness that said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, make the path straight. John the Baptist, he preached repentance, he preached forgiveness, he stood with his feet at the banks of the River Jordan, baptizing people, including Jesus himself. Get ready, the kingdom is at hand. Make the paths straight, receive the Lord. John the Baptist is actually the beginning of this passage too. It's not explicit in the NRSV version that we read today, but you don't have to back up very far at all to see where he comes in. If we go back to the text just one verse before, it becomes incredibly clear. The reason, the this, why Jesus withdraws and goes by himself to a boat in a deserted place is because John the Baptist was killed. You remember this. It was Jesus' own cousin, Jesus' friend, Jesus' spiritual companion, his colleague, John the Baptist had just died. And he didn't just die. Actually, he was murdered in a particularly humiliating and dishonorable and very Game of Thrones way. You see, King Herod had John arrested. The particular offense was John's involvement and John's opinion on Herod's brother and sister-in-law, Herodias. Turns out the king himself was interested in Herodias, and John had something to say. Now, it's kind of interesting that John would single them out, commenting on that relationship. It was going to get him in trouble, but John the Baptist wasn't known for holding back. Now, was he? You brood of vipers. So, when the king had interest in Herodias, John pushed back. Well, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what happened next. People in power don't like to be called out, whether the Pharisees or Herodias here. So the scene is set. One pericope before. It's King Herod's birthday party. And at this gathering, a young girl, Herodias' daughter, dances and seduces the king. And he was so pleased, he made an oath to give her whatever she asked. Man, her mom must have been really manipulative because she asked for something for her mom. She asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Well, the king felt that he had to stay true to his word to continue with the party, and it took a violent turn. And so our John the Baptist, the baptizer, who spent time in camel hair eating honey and locusts, whose bare toes were in the silt of the River Jordan, who took Jesus down into the dark of the water and then pulled him up to the dove and the voice, beloved, calling him. 
He endured a death that made him the laughing stock of royal gossip, the casualty of court intrigue, his head on a platter. Well, the body came to Jesus. The followers came and got John's body. And scripture tells us that when John's body was given to Jesus, he then left. He retreated. Jesus withdrew by himself to a quiet place, to a boat, where he could stand on board and watch the waves crash and the fish swim underneath, where he could pause and pray, meditate, deep breathe. And scripture also tells us that thousands, thousands of other people, when they heard this, they retreated too. At some point, these followers of John, these believers in Jesus and John's message, they left their cities and towns and they made their way to that deserted place. They hadn't received an embossed invitation in the mail, but they had pre-gamed plenty. Under John's care, they had prepared for a kingdom that now seemed uncertain. Under Jesus' lead, they had witnessed and known possibilities that maybe were under threat. They had prepared for this moment. And the invitation to this secluded spot was the death of John the Baptist. This is what brought them all there to this gathering. Back to Parker's book, my favorite chapter there is also about death and gatherings at death. And this one is titled, Never Start a Funeral with Logistics. Man, didn't I rack my brain to see if I've done that before. Well, it's certainly possible, but I will never do it again. The story she told is this. She was participating in the funeral of a dear colleague, a dear friend, and there were hundreds of family members, friends, former colleagues gathered in a beautiful space. They had packed this room to honor a man who had towered in his field and who had lived a life of helping so many people. And as they entered the pews, they greeted one another and many of them had not seen each other in many, many years. And so she said, sadness hung in the air, and they had already started crying. And the minister, he got up and he walked to the front, the beautiful sanctuary, and he took a deep breath. And she said, we all leaned in, eager for words of comfort and hope. And he began, just so you know, the parking is going to be really difficult at the reception. So we'd like for you to keep your cars here and then walk over later. Thank you. Now, her critique of him is fair in this book. It was a difficult moment. I know he had a lot going on and who knows, maybe the widow had pressed him on this point and he was afraid he was going to forget it. And after all, many events begin with that list of thanks to the organizers, the funders, the boards. I've heard many an evening start with, and now I'll be getting the details out of the way. 
But Priya Parker says, this does not need to go on anymore. She encourages us all to not do that. And at particular, in particular, here at this funeral of a friend, the pastor had wasted what have, could have been an unforgettable opening. So instead, she suggests open cold. You've heard this phrase before, right? The cold opening. It's when a TV show starts right in the middle of a scene. So not with a recap, not with opening credits or a theme song, but just jumps right into the story. I think the best example of this is on Saturday night and you've sitting there not sure what time it is and all of a sudden you're like, wait, is that really the news? Wait, is that that comedian I know? And then all of a sudden, live from New York, it's Saturday night. What you may not know, and I found this to be fascinating, is that apparently George Lucas' opening scroll in the Star Wars movie was supposed to be a list of thanks to the producers and whoever else was involved. But what we saw is that Lucas refused and stepped away from the tradition and jumped right into his iconic story with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Need I say more? Jesus, look at this story. Look at this party. Jesus is the master of the cold open. He's standing on this boat after his friend has died, and at some point he must feel the presence of the people gathered on the shore. So he turns around and he prepares to walk back onto the shore, and he is moved with compassion. His guts are turned for love of these people who have come in their grief and in their need, and he starts the party. He heals them, he cures them, he hears them, he touches them, he hugs them, he is present, and he is with them again and again and again. It's long before evening falls and the disciples bring up the logistics of the menu and the impossibility of such a deserted place for a feast. The celebration, this party for which they had prepared, was already happening. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. The good news had begun. One commentator I set, read said that this moment in Jesus' ministry, and maybe one of the reasons why this story is in all four of the Gospels, is because this was the time for a revolution. This was it. This was the moment, the gathering of these thousands of people on the shore after John's humiliating death by the court. They could have been stirred up for revenge and for revolution. And certainly there were zealots whose line of thinking had them envision the Savior as a political one, taking up arms to defeat the king, returning the great city-state religiously oriented Davidic monarchy in a new form. But was there ever a real possibility of a coup attempt? Was that 
the party for which they had been prepared for and invited to come because Jesus and John were always and only and continually about compassion and healing and curing and loving and forgiving. Parker goes on and she offers more tips for pre-gaming and I encourage you guys to read it. It's a lot of fun. And one of her final tips for the next pre-game for your upcoming party is taken from her experience of a third-generation Italian butcher in the village of Penzano and Chianti named Dario Caccini, whose shop is a pilgrimage destination spot for the biggest named chefs in the world. And she says, when you walk into his little butcher shop, you can tell he is the master of openings. What happens is when you walk in to Dario's butcher shop, he hugs you and he slaps you on the back and he welcomes everyone who walks in, whether stranger or friend. He hands out little pieces of the crust of bread dipped in lard the moment you set foot in the shop. And most nights, you get to come on upstairs and he hosts 30 strangers at a long wooden table with a roaring grill. And before anyone gets a bite, he raises two bloody Fiorentina steaks above his head and he thunders to beef or not to beef. And the laughter follows. Despite the hovering staff, he serves the steaks himself and he moves around the table and he visits each guest and he pauses and he listens to their stories. He pinches their cheeks and he laughs with you well. She says, Caccini is the man on stage, but he is also your friend. And all of a sudden, you find yourself at his meal, at his hosted table, taking these small risks, maybe having some behavior that you wouldn't typically have at a restaurant. And you turn to the person beside you that you've never seen before, and you ask them a fun question, or you offer something of your own. That didn't just happen, she says. This giving and receiving is a technique of preparation, and it is the one that she names the pregame honor and awe. The pregame honor and awe. And this is when you awe as a host. You are in charge, and you are putting yourself and your gathering above your guests. You are the expert at what is about to happen here. And you also, at the same time, honor them. And you are placing your guest above you, too. Honor and awe. I can't think of a better way to describe what happens when Jesus begins his party there on the shore. 
when he walks off that boat and the people are broken and bleeding and weeping and he touches them and he heals them and there are miracles can't think of a better word than honor and awe for he who says, sure, bring me those five loaves of bread and those two fishes. And the meal's not fancy, but it is a miracle. And it feeds them. And the people aren't thirsty. And the people are fed. Honor and awe, in fact, is the phrase that could describe Jesus' whole ministry. He who, when his hour had come as the Christ, got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of the disciples gathered around him. He who hosted at a table that was inviting a feast of the ages, one that is still to come, who broke his own body and said, eat and remember here. Honor and awe. It is the incarnation. The humiliation of the divine, the humbling, of God, the taking up of our flesh for the divinity of humanity, honor and awe, that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus is our Lord. Friends, for this surprising invitation, for this unparalleled gathering, for the one that we have been pre-gaming and preparing for, we are truly grateful. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.